0: Joseph and the ones who at last we saw them were left back in the land of Canaan. So if you would uh, turn with me to uh, chapter uh, 42 of Genesis. You'll find that on page 35 if you're using one of the, the black Bibles there in your seats. And we will look at the the whole chapter here this morning. So Genesis 42, beginning in verse 1. Remember where we picked up, uh, just to catch us up context-wise, Pharaoh had a dream, Joseph interpreted it, that seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine were coming to not just Egypt, but the land. Joseph came up with a plan. He was set up as second in command in Egypt and organized the, the provision and plan for how to provide for uh, not just the, the time of plenty, but the time of famine coming up. And now we're, the famine hit the last we heard in Egypt, and we heard that it had spread all over the, the, the region. And so that's, that's where we're picking back up in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons... Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who, was sold, who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like they were strangers and spoke, spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are, we are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it's the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We are your servants. We, your servants, are are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your word may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, you are surely spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest of you go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, "Did Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now here comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then, they turned away from, then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to, and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And this was done for them. Then they loaded up their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened their sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We've never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the land, said to us, By this you shall know, uh, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take the grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack, And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. Put them in my hands, and I will bring them back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply uh, your word preached to our hearts. Use the living and active word of God uh, to transform and shape us. Uh, as your people, in Christ's name, amen. If you uh, travel around downtown in Elizabeth City, you'll see many houses for sale. Some not for sale, but look like they're about to to, to fall apart, especially in the historic district as people are, are trying to buy some of them and, and repair them or fix them up and live in them. And especially sometimes if you go in and look at, at the pictures, uh, you can tell a lot of work has been done to some of them. if people have bought them and tried to, to, to renovate them and restore them. Um, but it's, it's interesting, if, if, if you just focus on the, the, the cosmetic stuff, the, the apparent things on the outside, when you're beginning to do this renovation, the renovations of these houses, you could be actually uh, uh, sorely surprised later at the problems you will you will encounter. Um, one of our uh, friends lived in a, uh, a neighborhood uh, similar to downtown Elizabeth City in, uh, in, in St. Louis, and their landlord had done a lot of work inside because there was a lot of cracks in the plaster, and um, the doors were separating in certain places, and some doors wouldn't open. And so the landlord came in, and he, and he, he saw the cracks, and he filled them with putty and sanded them and uh, painted, and it looked really nice at the beginning of the, of the semester. As the, the, the year progressed on, those cracks began to continue to, to open up. The doors got stuck again. Um, you see, uh, although at first look, the problems that, that these houses and these homes seemed to have looked to be uh, the most obvious, visible ones. In fact, there were, there were much deeper foundational issues. The reason these cracks were forming was because of problems in the foundation of the building. And until those, those foundational issues were, were dealt with, you can patch and deal with the, the visible problems all you want, but they're going to continue to come back and reveal themselves over and over and over again. As, as we look here at, at God's people, remember we're, we start off this chapter back in Canaan, it seems like the obvious issue and problem and struggle that God's people are facing here is the famine. That's the issue. We're we starving. We're running out of food. We need food. Uh, notice that's, that's what comes up uh, just as the, as the chapter starts in verse 1 and 2. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, "'Why do you look at one another?' Behold, I've heard there's grain. Go down there and buy it so that we may live and not die. And so he sends these sons down to to Egypt. Uh, We we saw before in in the the last chapter God's sovereign rule over all things that he was the one who brought Joseph to Egypt. He's the one who's brought the famine and the plenty and the the struggles and the the difficulty. And so uh, is the reason... As we, we look at this, it could, one thing we, that we could begin to think is that, that a part of what God is doing, and this is true, that He brought Joseph to Egypt to provide for them once the famine began to come. And we could look at that and say, yes, that is, that is true. But there's bigger issues going on. The people of God here are struggling with more than just hunger. There's things going on that are deeper and more foundational than just a need of food. And God is at work to deal with that and bring that up. Right now, what we're seeing is that God's people are in jeopardy. The promise of, uh, remember, we've been looking at from the beginning of of chapter, or from chapter 3 in Genesis all the way through, is that God is going to bring a redeemer, a rescuer, and a restorer uh, to to deal with and take care of all the problems that our sin has created. And it's going to come through this family line. But right now they're about to, to starve and die. But remember, this is the the jeopardizing of the mission was a problem in this family long before the famine came about. You see the context we're still dealing with? Remember what we saw before? The context of, of father favoritism of Joseph over against the other sons. We see here Jacob really hasn't changed that much. Do you notice when he sends the the sons to to Egypt to go get food, who does he send? Remember, he had 12 sons. Joseph is in Egypt. He sends 10 of them because he says, I want to keep Benjamin here because I'm afraid harm might come to him. Now, we might could understand that if Benjamin was five at this point. Benjamin is well into his 20s at this time in the story. So what Jacob is communicating to these other brothers is, I'm not concerned if you get hurt, but I am concerned if Benjamin gets hurt. And so I'm leaving, I'm leaving here. The favoritism is still going on. We even see that at the very end. Did you notice what, what Jacob says? Reuben makes this rash vow. We'll make, touch on that and connecting it with, uh, in, in future weeks. But notice what, what Jacob says in verse 38. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. There's 11 sons from Jacob's perspective, but what he's communicating and saying is that if Benjamin dies, he's my only son. I'll have none left. This context of, of favoritism and, and strife that we have saw was was tearing this family apart still exists what what about the the brothers though have they changed remember we've saw they they had their own part to play in in jeopardizing the the mission um remember their rash response to what happened in Shechem um and they they slaughtered a whole city but then, due to their response to this uh, favoritism that they saw, they, uh, they sold Joseph into slavery. Their sin has put the, the jeopardy and the survival of the people of God at, at risk. They're willing to go to lengths almost to, to murder and kill their own flesh and blood. What's going to happen to this promise of a, of a restorer coming? a redeemer coming, a reconciler coming if this family's eating themselves apart. Maybe what God needs to, is working at and what He's dealing with and what He's trying to address is not just this issue of hunger, but these deeper foundational issues. Because if this family is not reconciled, if if His work isn't coming together and bringing them together, how can they ever hope to be a a demonstration and a visible picture of the the offer of reconciliation that our God is is communicating and wanting to to advertise through them so what's what 's going to happen? Have these brothers changed they 're on their way to Egypt, we see that they 're getting ready to encounter and meet with joseph what 's going to occur? What are we going to see about their character about the effects of this sin among them? Um, so that's that's what we want to mainly focus our time on looking at joseph's response the response of the the brothers as we look in this and see what it is that god's doing in the midst of this uh bringing them together this uh this suffering and struggle that he's brought on the the land and on them first looking at at joseph uh, and from verses six and following notice how when it uh when it starts off, that uh, it's, it's hard to understand what it is that Joseph is actually doing. Like, what's going on in this interaction here? It says that he, that he recognizes his brothers, but he's, he, he's treating them as if they're strangers. And he's speaking roughly to them. Uh, it emphasizes that uh, over and over here in the beginning of uh, of this, uh, this passage. Um, remember a, a couple of uh, chapters... Uh, just in the in the last chapter, when Joseph had a son born, um, his son Manasseh, uh, this is why Joseph named him manasseh he, said him, he named him Manasseh and he said uh, uh, that uh, the reason he was named Manasseh in verse fifty one of chapter forty one is because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father 's house uh-huh. joseph 's first effort and and way to deal with this, this deep family division and struggle and strife, it seemed like he thought, well, now my circumstances have changed. I've risen to power. I've escaped all that. Things are better. I'm, I'm beginning, I'm going to be able to forget everything that's happened. But then the brothers show back up. The pain, the hurt, the struggle is revealed. And it's beginning to show itself in the way that Joseph is communicating with them. Speaking roughly with them, speaking harshly with them. It's hard to tell. Is is Joseph just trying to keep his uh, uh, keep his uh, identity concealed? Is he trying to figure out more of the brothers, or in fact, is he trying to seek out and move towards revenge? Because now would be a great time to to pay it back. Notice the 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 words that are used in verses seven and eight of of emphasizing this recognition that Joseph has of seeing his brothers. And again, in verse uh, six and nine of talking about the remembering that happens, this encounter of being around his brothers again is bringing back up things from the past, things that have not been dealt with things that have not been addressed. Specifically, it mentions here this dream. You remember Joseph's dream that he communicated to his brothers that one day there would be eleven of them that would be bowing down to him, and then later he said that his not only would the brothers but his parents would be bowing down before him, uh, before him as well. And it tells us there in verse, uh, uh, verse seven, a partial fulfillment, or verse six, a partial fulfillment of this happens. Joseph's brothers came and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground, and this is when Joseph begins to treat them harshly. So maybe. The fulfillment of this dream that Joseph remembers. Where he remembers, I'm one day going to be exalted and in power and in authority over my brothers. And what he's been thinking about and what he's experienced over the past 20 years is the implications of their sin against him. Throwing him into Potiphar's house. Being in slavery. Harshly treated. Remember we, we read in, in the Psalms about the, the fetters that are, were around his arms and the, and the chains that he had on him. But now, he's remembering the dream. I'm in a position now where I am in authority over my brothers. In fact, they're bowing down before me now. Maybe this is how the dream will be fulfilled. And now that I have power and authority on them, I can enact my revenge and make them suffer for what they've done for me. As he speaks harshly with them, he even uh, begins to um, uh, start to to test them. And he even says, hey, I'm going to begin to, to test you as he, as he listens to their words. And even as they say, well, we're honest men. From Joseph's perspective, the, the response would have been honest. Like, you may be telling the truth that you're not spies, but is that your evaluation of your character, that you are indeed honest men? Let's find, let's find out if that's going to happen. And Joseph throws them into prison. Just like he had been thrown into prison. What's going to happen? What's he going to do? How is Joseph going to respond? Is it going to be out of this revenge and this pain and this hurt that he responds to what his brothers have done and put them in a place to experience all that he experienced for the past 20 years to get a taste of it? Is the promise in jeopardy? The people of God are in a fragile place now, and Joseph has all the power in his hands to wipe these brothers out. But what about the brothers? We're seeing what's going on with Joseph, the effects and the con the the consequences of the sin and the pain that's going on, the struggle that he's having, this battle of revenge or not. with the brothers, have they changed? Well, looking, Look in verse 10. Uh, We we just commented on this a little bit. No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're not spies. We're all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. The question comes up for for us. They're they're not honest about what actually happened to Joseph. They're telling a partial truth when they said he's, he's no more. But we look deeper at this they're continuing to express the fact that they're honest men. But we know the evaluation of their character. These are not honest guys. Honest isn't just, the, the, the term that's used here isn't just for one who speaks the truth, but one who lives out an honorable and honest life, consistent with thinking more like of, of righteous living. This is not true of these brothers at all. As we we go back and we, we see um, uh, their interactions with with Jacob, we realize that for the past twenty years, they've been concealing and hiding what they've done. Jacob has no clue the the keeping this secret uh, uh, among themselves has been. Uh, really tearing them up. You can see that as we pick up on the, the interaction that Reuben has when he when he spouts off at his brothers. I told you not to do this. You really realize now that, that that justice and blood is coming back onto us for what we've what we've done. Uh, these brothers we're seeing uh, as of this point it, they haven't changed. They haven't been honest about their sin. They haven't addressed and dealt with. What's been going on that is tearing this family apart? This is the context that, of what we're looking at. That God is at work and He's bringing this broken, fractured, messed up family into Egypt. Because He's wanting to do a work in them. Um, uh, you see, uh, right now, it's, it may be easier for us to see here in this picture when we're we're looking at maybe 70 people, if we, if we title up their whole, uh, all their family and all their kids and everybody that around, um, if they do not address these issues now, if they continue to destroy and backbite and, um, and go at each other, then the, what's going to happen to the promise? Seventy people, if they begin to, to tear it apart, what hope is there for the promise to be fulfilled the, the people are at a fledgling uh, kind of place right now. They're fragile. And we don't even know what's going to happen in their vulnerability if this sin isn't dealt with. Are they going to go back? What's going to happen to Benjamin? If this favoritism continues in the context of Jacob's life, are they then going to lash out again and destroy and murder him or sell him into slavery? The question lingers. What is going to happen to the people of God? What is going to happen to the promise? Um, uh, back in January, when the the snow, if you call it that, came to Elizabeth City, um, we were uh, we had gone to bed expecting it to snow, and it wasn't doing anything but raining. And uh, all of a sudden, we started hearing this this noise outside our window. <laughs> And Lindsay was like, what's going on? Like, what is that noise out there? And I I sat there and I started thinking, I was like, well, that's where our our HVAC system is. Like, this is not a good time for this thing to go out when it's, you know, below 20 outside. So I go outside to look and see what's happened. And we don't have gutters on our house like everybody else downtown. And so the water had, the rain was coming off of the, the top of our roof, and falling right on our HVAC stuff. And it was encased in a block of ice. So I looked inside, and I could see that what was going on was through a a little slit that the fan, the ice had gotten inside, and it was freezing up. And so the fan was going around, and it was starting like an ice chipper, chipping the ice that had filled up inside this HVAC thing. And so because it had frozen, it wasn't able to do what it, It's intended purpose. It was frozen, rock hard, solid. It couldn't produce heat and warmth to uh, keep us safe inside. As long as it remained frozen and hard, it wasn't going to be able to do what it was intended to do. So what I had to do is I got our biggest pots that we had and I filled them with water and I had boiling pots of water on the the stove. this scalding, hot, boiling water. I would go out and dump it. The heat, if this got on me, it would hurt, uh, obviously, to melt and soften and take away all this hardness that was keeping this system from doing what it was supposed to do. It took the heat and the pressure of me also chipping away stuff at it to, to free up this machine, this unit to do what it is intended to do to warm our home. What we see here is God is doing something similar. Remember, we saw that God is sovereign over bringing uh, suffering and struggle into the the world and into the lives of his people. Well, what God is doing here is it's, it's not just about bringing Joseph to Egypt so that the people can be provided for and not starve. But what God is doing is by bringing Joseph to Egypt and now bringing the brothers to Egypt and this interaction and this conversation and the difficulties that they're facing, God is bringing them to a place in the midst of this struggle, the heat, the trying um, effort of what God is doing in their lives to expose their sin, to be able to melt, beginning to melt the hardness of their heart, the frozenness of their heart so that they'll be able to be freed up to do what they've been redeemed and saved to do. Notice, notice that how God's pressure, the heat of this struggle and this trying moment, what it begins to do to open up and free these, begin to free these brothers up. Notice that we see Joseph. God is beginning to melt his heart of revenge. And we see him beginning to enable a heart of reconciliation. Do you notice after Joseph puts the guys in prison, for three days, uh, for three days, all of them. Um, at first he says, I'm, I'm just going to send one of you back. Notice what Joseph says when he, when he comes back in verse uh, 18 after the three days that they're in custody. It says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. And Joseph, the way that he relates to his brothers begin to change over the course of the next several verses. It's as if over these three days, God has been working on Joseph's heart and reminding Joseph, Joseph, this is the God that I am. I'm the God who has redeemed and restored you. I'm the God who is a God of reconciliation. And this is not the way to treat and engage your brothers. I know what they've done, but it's in response to Joseph's fear of God that we see him change in the way that he's responding to him. Notice the emphasis is not on revenge. It's not on what's happening to Joseph. Joseph's heart is now being freed up to think about, concerned about his brothers and their, their family. Notice in verse, verse 19, he said, If you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go back and carry grain for the famine of your households. Before, Joseph said, I'm going to keep all of you and only one will go back. If just one guy goes back, there's no way one, one brother would have been able to carry enough provisions back. For the, for the rest of the family. They would have all suffered. The promise would have died due to Joseph's revenge. But he changes his mind due to his fear of God. And he says, because I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking for the provision of your household, I'm responding in this way. And God is beginning to soften and break the frozen hardness of, of Joseph's hurt and his pain so that he can begin to pursue reconciliation with his brothers. Notice again in verse 25. I'm sure this is not the way Joseph related to all the other uh, uh, people who came to get grain from from Egypt. Notice in verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill all their bags with grain. He has the, the guy place everybody's money back in the sack. And he gives them provisions for their journey. We're seeing a shift in Joseph. These are the guys who sold him into slavery. These are the guys who almost killed him, but because of what God's work that he's doing and the fear of God in Joseph's heart, he's changing his response. Now, Joseph is beginning to do some stuff here. Remember, uh, some of the the things that Joseph is doing, he is testing them. He's by putting their money back in their sack. Joseph is actually uh, providing an opportunity of testing to see, hey, what's going to happen? Now we have one brother in prison, and I'm sending all the rest away. What a familiar scenario. That the brothers had Joseph, they left with money, left Joseph in the hands of foreigners, and left and went back on their way. This money that they find in their sack, this putting them back in this same scenario, this interaction and conversation that they're having with Joseph. Joseph is is here, as we see the context, Joseph is not acting in revenge anymore. Remember, we see his, his concern and his care for him with the provision. So what's he doing? Well, you see, it's important for reconciliation to happen. Confession and repentance must occur. And Joseph, as much as he may want to, and he can forgive his brothers, But reconciliation will not be able to happen unless he's able to discern is the fruit of repentance actually showing itself in the lives of my brothers. If I reveal myself now, maybe they'll have the opportunity to 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 try to worm their way out of it because they're afraid of what will happen. But what I need to see in order for reconciliation and what's best for my family is I'm going to. I need Jake. I need Benjamin to come. I need to find out how are they going to respond to Benjamin? How are they going to respond with what's happening with Simeon being left here? Joseph is, is is putting this test here, not out of revenge anymore, but as a means of pursuing reconciliation because of what God has done in his heart and in his life. But what about the brothers? We, we see Joseph beginning to move and God melting his heart of revenge to a, Enabling a heart of reconciliation. Well, what about the brothers? I think what we begin to see here with the brothers is God's melting this concealing heart of who's they're trying to, to avoid and hide their sin to those who are God's beginning to enable a heart of confession. Notice in verses 21 and 22, as God has brought them into this scenario, they're face to face with their. Their sin is coming to their heart and their mind because God has brought them here. Notice what they say in verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And then Reuben says, hey, you didn't listen. I told you not to sin against the boy. And now here comes a reckoning for his blood. It's been 20 years. The pain, the struggle, the difficulty of keeping this sin inside, of not confessing it and acknowledging it. And now, under the heat and pressure of this suffering and of this conflict and and, uh, conversation that God is using the means of which to expose the sin in the brother's hearts. And now they're getting to the place where they're confessing it. Where they're acknowledging we have indeed in truth, we are guilty. We have sinned. They're beginning to realize uh, God's work in their lives and the the place and need uh, that they deserve justice. You notice here, Reuben says that, that here comes a reckoning for his blood. And then later on, when the, the brothers see the money, and it, remember Joseph's test that they're being given reminds them of the scenario and what they've done in the past of, of uh, leaving a brother and returning with, with money in exchange. They say this in verse 28. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, and said, what is this? that God has done to us. See, they're beginning to realize that God is at work in the world. It's, it's not just about this, this famine that God's doing, but God has invested on shaping and transforming and freeing up the hearts of His people so that they can do what He's called and redeemed and saved them to do. God has provided the, this, this money This famine, this difficulty as the means by which he is exposing and bringing them to a place where they can confess their sin. And we'll see later move them to a place of repentance, which repentance is uh, um, uh, a a change of direction. We think of of repentance as as not just saying uh, I, I did wrong, I sinned. That's confession. But repentance is turning from the sin and it involves a life change to where we're now pursuing righteousness. But God begins here by beginning the work of confession and softening their hearts so that reconciliation can begin to occur. You notice the effect that it has going both ways. Joseph's tenderness and his compassion, his pursuit of reconciliation, God is using it to have a softening effect in the heart's of his brothers, but also do you notice the effect that it has the other way when Joseph actually hears his brothers speak and say we sinned against our brother. He's never heard this. You notice it says that he turned away and he wept. As God is beginning to work in both of these guys, it's or all of these minutes. it's transforming and shaping all of their 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 heart, their view of the world, their relationship with one another. So how do we, how do we apply this? Let's, let's think through it. I wanna, let's do it in three ways. First, let's, let's look at it for those who are in the story. Then we want to look at those who, who the story was written to. So Moses is writing to the Israelites in Egypt. So we'll look at the brothers in the story, the Israelites in Egypt, and then a step back even further ourselves. So for them, why is reconciliation necessary? Why do they need to move this way? We've already touched on it a little bit. If they devour themselves through jealous, continuing murder in the context of this favoritism scheme that Jacob keeps doing, the people of God are going to go away. They're just going to kill each other. Or if Joseph doesn't pursue reconciliation, he can squash them out through his revenge. They're in such a fragile state that the people of God in order for them to move forward, reconciliation has got to happen. Or these, there's not going to be a people to carry on the promise. To be the ones that the promised one comes through. So what, about, uh, what about the, the, the people of, of Israel who were in Egypt as they look back and consider this? Remember what, what God has communicated to them. I am your God. You are my people. God didn't say... I am the God of this tribe alone. I am the God of the entire people of God. Did you notice how the people were, how the brothers were referred to in this passage when they went down to Egypt? Notice how what it says in verse five of chapter forty-two. Then the sons of Israel came to buy grain and went down. Moses is beginning to shape here and wanting to give uh, shape the identity of the people of God that we collectively are the people of God. The work that I'm I'm doing, although with Abraham it went through one son, with Isaac it went through one son, now the work that I'm doing in the world, although the promised one will come out of one tribe, I am collectively going to use all of this people, the entire sons of Israel. You are my corporate people. And you need to understand that I have declared myself to be the God of all of you. And the redeeming work that I'm getting ready to do to reconcile you to myself is on behalf of all of you. And so now, Israel, as you're here in Egypt, if you begin to think that it's all about your tribe and you look back on this history and realize what some of the other tribes have done to the fathers of these other tribes, and you think now is the time for us to begin to end battle and fight one another and try to figure out who's going to be in charge or who's going to be the leader, you're missing the point. Because if you begin to fight and bicker among yourselves and you don't seek reconciliation, remember the the, the reason that I've called you is this picture of, of humanity has been been saved and created to be a part in a relationship with God. I've saved you as my people so that you will give a picture of this, uh, proper functioning humanity to the world to live in reconciled relationship with God. If this group of people, if this nation can't live reconciled lives together, what kind of message are you sending to the world? Why would you want to know this, God, if all you do is bicker and strive against one another and kill and murder? God is saying here, look, the, the hope that the world has rests on you responding to the grace that I've done in your life and in your heart and extending it out to the, your brothers and sisters around you. Every time you go to the altar and sacrifice a goat or a lamb, I'm communicating to you that I'm offering a provision for your sin. And you're going to see the same thing when your brother from another tribe goes up. I'm saying the same thing. I'm offering my provision for him. Reconciliation is necessary for the mission. But what what about us now here? Remember, the the work that God is doing was sending His Son to be the one who had died. That was the promised one who was going to come. He died for His people. He suffered in his place. That means when you hope in the message of of the good news of Jesus, what he said to you is, I had to die for your sin. You are now my people. Um, Look around at the other people who are in your church community with you. Who when you eat the bread together, I'm proclaiming and you're proclaiming as you eat and drink together. Jesus is saying, these are the people for whom I've died. Do you not realize that my blood was shed for them and I forgave your sin just as I forgave theirs? If you don't understand your identity to be ultimately in me and you harbor uh, animosity and bitterness and you are resistant to confessing and acknowledging your sin and pursuing reconciliation because of what I've done to you. It's going to begin to distort the message that I have you here to do, to be agents of reconciliation, to communicate to the world. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus. Uh, that means that for those of us here, as and we'll touch on this when we have the Lord's Supper, I want you to look around at the people who are eating and drinking with you. These are God's people. Jesus shed his blood for them. Is there anything in your heart that you say, you know what, I don't care that Jesus died for them. Uh, Their political position, their their business, the word that they said to me yesterday, uh, um, how they treated me at the the last uh, potluck, or what they did to me in school, or what they spoke to my mom or dad about what I did or didn't do. I see that as more important than the fact that Jesus died for them. And I'm going to hold that against them even though Jesus says, I've forgiven them. God is saying, this is a je- you are jeopardizing the promise. You are, didn- you are actually denying the good news of the gospel. What God is, is calling His people to and he's calling his corporate people to and he's calling us if we don't uh, maybe it's, it's a good picture for us if we look around this is probably about the size of uh, Jacob's family at this point about 70 people how destructive will it be to our little community if we allow unconfessed and repentant and reconciled sin to distort and destroy us. But even when we think bigger than that, the worldwide church, the divisions that are, are there, uh, it's still just as vital. God is saying it is necessary because I am a reconciling God that you, in the hope of the Gospel, pursue reconciliation with one another. Are you harboring bitterness towards anyone right now? Are you refusing to, to, to forgive another brother or sister in Christ? Call out to God to melt the hardness of your heart. Right now, do you know you've sinned against someone and you've hurt them? And you are, you are like the brothers, concealing it and refuse to acknowledge and open up and confess your sin. Call out to Jesus to have mercy, to, hard, or to soften your hard heart, that we as a community can pursue reconciliation for the goodness and the good news of the gospel. In the next few weeks, we'll see how God is continuing to be at work to do this in these brothers. But right now, our hope and prayer is that God begins and does that work among us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the the gospel that Jesus has reconciled us uh, to you. Um, I pray that you would uh, melt our hearts, that we would be quick to confess, that we'd be quick to repent, that we'd be quick to forgive and Um, in response to the reconciliation you've given us, we would reconcile with one another for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. As Jesus was on His way to reconcile all things to Himself, it necessitated His death. So uh, He's eating with His disciples and He took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body which is broken for you. That is a plural you. Jesus' body was broken for His people the same night after he took the cup, Christ uh, after he, uh, they had eaten, he took a cup and he blessed it and he said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return." Um, remember what we talk about each week that, that this is a meal for God's people. This is a family meal. Those you are eating with are part of the people of God. If you have, are not resting or relying and proclaiming Jesus to be your King and your God and the one who has died for you, and you're entrusting Him to to, to die and satisfy your uh, and reconcile you to God, then don't don't eat. You you don't want to proclaim something that's not true of you. And there may be some other people here. There may be people here who are uh, who are believers. You would say, Yes, I'm hoping in Jesus. I've been I've, I've, I've called out to him to, to forgive me of my sin. Um, but you haven't, you haven't been baptized yet. You haven't been united to God's people and joined the church. Uh, may I encourage you to do that? Come talk to me. If you right here and right now are believing in Jesus and have not uh, united yourself to him and his church through, uh, through baptism, then come. Let's let's do that so that you can participate in this and and visibly uh, show that you are a part of this this body. Um, if you are here this morning and you are uh, baptized, you've joined the church. You are uh, not just our church, but are professing in Christ. Um, but right now, you know that there is somebody within the context of our church that you refuse to forgive?